take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to two places uh, right off the bat just to give you kind of an opportunity. These are the two passages that we are going to be looking at tonight. And they're kind of somewhat of a parallel passage to each other. So Ezra chapter 3 is going to be the first place that I will ask you to turn. Um, And then also the book of Haggai chapter 2. We were in chapter 1 of Haggai last Sunday. We're in chapter 2 tonight. And uh, we're going to read these, these two passages together. I so appreciate the, uh, the song that the ladies just sang. A passion for thee, and certainly the, even the theme of uh, our congregational singing tonight has been loving Christ and loving the Lord and, and drawing close to Him and even asking Him to draw us closer to Him in love that we would love Him more. And the song that uh, the ladies just sang a moment ago, the, the last phrase of that song is that this passion that is obviously the prayer of the song, the passion is not just a passion to serve the Lord, but a passion to love the Lord. Amen. Now, I think that most of us would probably say that it's possible, and I know I've personally experienced it, to get caught up in the busyness of serving God and to neglect or even forget, perhaps, from time to time the reason that we serve, and that is because we love Him. It's not because we're trying to earn some kind of favor with God or put ourselves in a better standing with Him, but our service to Him is to flow from our love for Him, and if the love isn't right, then the service really isn't right anyway. And so I, I hope that our heart's desire is that we would look beyond the things that we do in service to God and look to Him, the object of our love and our service. And that really ties in with what we're going to be talking about here tonight in these passages of Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background before I have you stand for the reading of the Scripture because I don't want you to have to stand for too long. And I've heard before that the preaching clock doesn't start until I have you stand anyway. So we'll... We'll see how much we can fit in there ahead of time. Uh, Last time we began looking, last Sunday we began looking at the book of Haggai, that prophet that was sent uh, to Jerusalem to uh, bring God's message to the people that had returned from Babylonian captivity. They had returned to Jerusalem to begin building the temple. And we talked about the fact that the, the foundation of the temple was laid... And due to some discouragement from within, we're going to look at that tonight, and some external pressures from without, the work of the the building of the temple ceased. And for a number of years, 15, 16 years, there, there was a time period there where the foundation was laid on the temple mount, and the people just kind of went about their lives as usual there in Jerusalem, and kind of began to forget about the very reason that they returned to Jerusalem. And so the Lord sent the prophet Haggai there to kind of preach to them and to bring about a revival and tell them, consider your ways. Is, is what you're doing really the will of the Lord for your life? And, and they began to rebuild. We saw last time they began to rebuild. But we're going to just kind of back up a little bit in the timeline here tonight. And we're going to look at the book of Ezra in chapter 3 where it details that first building that took place when the foundation of the temple was laid, and then we're going to flip back over 
to Haggai chapter 2. So if you're in Ezra 3, let's stand together for the reading of the scripture. Ezra chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. It says here, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. Now, in your mind, I want you to remember that for many of these people, this is the first time that they have ever experienced something like this. That God's people are together, worshiping him together in a public setting. How exciting that must have been for them. And then it says here in verse number 11 also, And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Now hold your place here in Ezra 3, and let's fast forward 15 or 16 years to Haggai chapter 2. In Haggai chapter 2, now again, the the, the work there came to a screeching halt, and nothing has been done beyond the laying of the foundation of this new temple that's being built in Jerusalem. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? He's referencing the people, the priests and the Levites and the people that were weeping back in Ezra chapter 3. That's who he's talking to here. And he says, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes, in comparison of it, that first temple, as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, tonight, 
Would you help us to see on the pages of your word the incredible and, and, and powerful words that you were speaking to your people in a time of confusion, in a time of discouragement, in a time of uncertainty, and Lord, the promises that you gave to them, and may you help us, Lord, in these days in which we live where there is much confusion and some discouragement and much uncertainty. And Lord, would you help us to remember the promises of the Lord, and may we look beyond tonight all of the things that we might think make up our worship of the Lord and the working of the Lord. And may we look beyond all of those things and just see you tonight and be glorified, Lord. I pray that you just take control in this service. I believe you have already and ask that you would continue to work. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. You can see what's been happening here. Overall, the nation, this remnant of people that has returned to Jerusalem, has had some excitement and maybe even we could call it zeal for the Lord and to see him work once again in the nation of Israel, to see the Lord bring about a revival and restoration of their nation. However, within that remnant of people, that group of people, there were some some of the older folks, if you will, and they must have been pretty old at this point, who prior to the Babylonian captivity had experienced what life was like in Jerusalem and remembered the first temple that was built there in Jerusalem, also known by most of us here as Solomon's Temple. Now, if you know anything about history, you probably know that Solomon's Temple was a... Was a really a sight to behold. It was one of the, angels, uh, the, the, the wonders of the ancient world. It was, a, uh, it, it was a symbol of God's blessing on his people. It was a national monument as much as it was uh, a, the place of worship. And so when, when the Babylonians finally carried away the last of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and that first temple was torn down and, and, and burned down and and laid waste. If you can imagine these, this, this final remnant of the Jews leaving Jerusalem and probably looking back over the city and seeing their glory lay, laying on the ground in ruins. These people now, some of them have survived the entirety of that 70-year captivity in Babylon, and now they are back in Jerusalem, and they are seeing, and you can imagine what it must have been like as they're thinking, this is going to be great. We are going to once again erect this building that means so much more than just a building. This building that is a symbol of God's presence among us and God's blessings among us. And the excitement was there. And, and we read there in, in Ezra chapter 3 as that foundation was laid. And, and they have a worship service there. And they, the, the priests put on their priestly apparel. And, and they come forward. And they've got an orchestra of people. And, and, uh, and they're, they've got trumpets and cymbals. And they're lifting up. They're having a, a church service, a worship service. They've got a choir that is singing. And there's just excitement about what God is doing in Jerusalem again. But somewhere along the way, some of those people that remember that first temple sitting there in Jerusalem, now they're looking at the foundation of this one and they're thinking, 
This is so much smaller than what we're used to. And, and as I look around here, it's, even, even though the, the foundation of this temple is laid, I look around and the city is still kind of run down and, and still looks kind of abandoned and the, the walls are still torn down. And, and, and in their mind and in their heart, there's just this discouragement and a, a spirit of defeat as they begin to realize life is never going to be quite the same as it used to be. When I was a kid and I remember what it was like to go to the house of the Lord and, and to sacrifice to the Lord and we're just never going to have what we used to have. And in the midst of the excitement, there was also just this kind of feeling of defeat. The wind was taken out of their sails as they realized, oh no, our idolatry has caused God's blessings to cease from us and things will never be the same and honestly, the truth is that most of, most of what they had to, to say about that and thought about that was true. Life never would be the same in Jerusalem and really has never been the same in Jerusalem since that time. Never have they experienced the freedom and the liberty that they had back when they were living under the blessings of God. And even though the Lord has blessed and worked in different ways Israel would live under oppression, under, under foreign rule and foreign governments until ultimately they would be dispersed. And, and even to this day, though they have been regathered back into their land, they don't have their land in its entirety. And, and, and they're under constant persecution from those without and constant attack from those without. And the truth is that things have never really been the same in Israel as they once were. Now, I want to say to you that there is coming a day, folks, when things are going to be better than they ever were before, because in that place, in that city, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom, and from the, the throne of David, he's going to rule and reign, and he's not only going to rule the nation of Israel, but he's going to rule the world with, in righteousness and with a rod of iron, and, and folks, we look forward to that day. I'm excited about that day. But up to this point, they have not seen that yet. And this realization is beginning to come over these people as they're made aware, okay, God is working here, but it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to be quite as good as it used to be. But the Lord over in Haggai chapter 2, where we read just a moment ago, brings to them a preacher, that prophet that stirred them up to begin rebuilding. And all these years later, he brings a preacher to these people and he tells them basically that their perspective is all wrong. That even though that they see things a certain way, that God does not necessarily see things the way that they do. Notice, if you will, in Haggai chapter 2 there in verse number 3, as he says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? In other words, this new temple that is being built, in your eyes, in your mind, it's nothing compared to Solomon's temple. That's how you see it. But basically the rest of this message is that that was not how God saw it. I've talked to many Christians, many pastors, 
many of the folks who've been around a lot longer than I have and can look back at a time even in our nation when things were different than they are today. And I've heard people that kind of reminisce about the past in the sense that they'll say things like this, you know, it used to be that you could go out and knock on people's doors and give them the gospel. And they'd invite you in. And they'd sit down and talk about the Bible with you. And often you'd see people come to Christ. But today, when you go and you knock on someone's door, most of the time they're just trying to get rid of you as quickly as they can. And I've heard these people say, you know, it used to be that we'd have an evangelist come in and we'd set up a, a tent somewhere because we couldn't possibly fit everyone in the church house. And boy, you set up the tent, you pass out a few flyers and let people know, and pretty soon the whole town would come out and listen to these, uh, this preacher. And, and, and it, it, we would see it go on sometimes for a week, two weeks, three weeks, or a month. A revival would go forward and, and people would be saved and, and, and things would begin to change. But we don't see that so much anymore. You know, it used to be that you could fill up a bus pretty easily and bring little kids in for church. And now it seems like there's just so many things that are pulling their attention away from the Lord. And, and now it's hard just to get people to come and be involved and to sit in the pews even. And, and, and sometimes we can look back at the past with this kind of a nostalgia about the way things used to be. And in essence, what we're really saying is that we wish things were the way they used to be. And in our hearts, we believe that things are never going to be quite the same. And so we can get a little bit discouraged and a little bit de defeated about what's going on. That's essentially what was happening in Israel. God's working, but it's not like he, not like he used to work. But I want you to notice a few things about this here from these two passages of Scripture. First of all, I want to point out to you their consciousness. What was it that they were looking at? What was their focus? What was their perspective. You see, what they were really doing is that they were looking at a building. They were looking at a building, a partial building. It wasn't even completed yet. It was a foundation. And they're looking at this foundation for a building and they're thinking, oh, I just wish things would go back to the way that they were. But you know, the truth is that the work of God among his people has never had anything to do with a building. I mean, God doesn't dwell in temples that are made with hands, the Bible tells us. Now, I understand that he's, he chose to put his presence there in that temple. And he, that was a symbol of God's presence among his people. But the building had nothing to do with God's blessings on his people. Their eyes were on this object, this inanimate building, rather than on the Lord himself. I want you to look there in Ezra 3, if you will. And we read this a moment ago, but pay attention verse number 11 of Ezra 3. It says, and they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because, listen to this, he is good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. You see, the reason that some of these people could rejoice and sing and praise the Lord is not because they were, they were so excited about this building that they were building. 
It was because they were excited about what that represented, that they have the privilege of worshiping the Lord, and the Lord is good. And let me tell you something. Things had changed in Jerusalem. The landscape had changed. The building had changed, but the Lord has never changed. And the same God that they were worshiping back in Ezra 3 is the same God that they ought to be worshiping there in, in Haggai chapter 2. It, it wasn't about a building. It was about the person. It wasn't about their service. It wasn't about their sacrifices. It wasn't about how good the, the singers were. It wasn't about how good the musicians were. It wasn't about how, uh, how uh, beautiful the, the priest's garments looked. It was all about the Lord. But see, they had gotten their eyes off of him and set their eyes on something that was really just a means to an end. I think it's possible for us sometimes to lose sight of really the object of our worship and maybe become a little bit too attached to our methods and our means, if you will, of worshiping that God. In other words, let me give you an example. I, I personally love preaching. I love to do it, but I love to listen to preaching. I love all preaching that is biblical, but I especially love good, sound, biblical preaching that is done well. You know what I mean by that? How many of you would be honest and say that you, there are some preachers you like to listen to better than others? Amen. Thank you. Some of you are honest. All right. Very good. I'm kidding. I'm sure you all are. Um, it could be the same message, but some people just, I mean, they're masterful in the way that they present it. They're excellent communicators. They can capture your attention. And for me, as a preacher, I love to listen to preaching and just the, the, the way that, that someone can, can take a passage of Scripture and just break it down and, 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 and preach it and communicate it in a powerful way that connects. I mean, I just, I love preaching. I love the medium of preaching, if you will. However, we've got to be careful to not become so consumed with the medium of preaching and just how powerful a communicator someone is, but to look beyond that to the message that is being proclaimed. That's the important part. Jesus. And quite honestly, there, there are some preachers that years ago and when, when I was younger, man, I just thought they were the greatest preacher in the world. And I go back now and listen to their messages. And I think, you know, that's kind of shallow. There really isn't a whole lot of content there. But they do, so, they do such a good job of capturing people's attention that I'm drawn to that. But that gives me an idea. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm glorifying the method rather than the message. Rather than the truth that God is trying to communicate. And that's just one example. We can, we can do that sometimes with just the way things used to be, the way that we have always done things. We can lift things up. And, and really what these people were doing, they were, look, they were looking for things to be the way that they used to be rather than looking to the Lord and ask Him, how do you want things to be today? 
In their eyes, the present work of God in their life was as nothing compared to their memory. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. If you read through the history of the nation of Israel, these few souls that must have been old enough at this time to be able to look back and remember life in Jerusalem, they would have been very young. <laughs> and it wouldn't, it, it, this would have been right at the end of the kingdoms of, of, of Israel, right? If you read the history of the nation of Israel, those weren't exactly the glory days. I mean, there, there was already, there was a, a conquering by foreign nations and foreign kings. And already there was idolatry that had risen up. And apart from, you know, Josiah, their last good king, basically their kings were worthless and godless. And the people were, were ungodly. But they look back and they have this kind of nostalgic memory of the way things used to be. And I think that they probably glorified it and, and maybe remembered it better than it really was. <laughs> but it caused them to miss what God was doing right in the midst of them. And folks, I just want to say to you, we might look back on the past and and wish that certain things were the way that they used to be. But let us never forget that God is still at work today. That God's work continues forward. And while our, our nation may not be what it used to be, and sadly many of our churches aren't what they used to be, the truth is the God that we serve is still the same. And his power is still the same. And his ability to save souls is still the same. And he, his promises are still the same. And in that regard, nothing has changed. But let's not miss what God is doing today because we have a fond view of the way things used to be. That was what was happening here. Their consciousness, their perspective, what they were looking at was not so much the Lord that they were worshiping, but rather the way in which they worshiped or the place in which they worshiped. But I want you to consider for a moment the consequences of their attitude. First of all, the attitude of these priests and Levites, the, the people that were complaining essentially of what they, they, I mean, to the point where they lifted up their their voices, they wept with a loud voice. In essence, what they were doing is they were expressing a lack of gratitude for what God was presently doing among them. They, they were essentially saying, God, I know you're working here, but it's just not good enough. It's not what I think it should be. They were expressing a lack of gratitude for God's blessings. We've had sometimes frustrations with our children. I think every, every parent has had this frustration maybe for um, sometimes you're, you're doing something, trying to make it special, and rather than being excited about what's happening, they're kind of complaining because, well, I was really hoping that we were going to do this or do this. And we, we've dealt with our children about that. Hey, you need, to, you need to be thankful for what you have rather than complaining about what you don't have. 
And that's essentially what they were doing. They were complaining about the work of God among, us, uh, among them. Let us never be guilty of that, folks. We ought to never leave the house of the Lord thinking about what we wish. And, and, and honestly, as, as a pastor, and Pastor Smith, maybe you've dealt with this, maybe you haven't, I've been guilty sometimes of leaving church discouraged about who wasn't there rather than encouraged by who was there. That's the wrong perspective. It's the wrong attitude. It's ungrateful to the Lord. They were expressing their lack of gratitude. They were also exposing their lack of faith in what God can and will do. They were exposing that in their heart they thought if things aren't quite the same, if the temple doesn't look just as good and just as beautiful, if it's not just as big as Solomon's temple was, then we might as well just forget all about it because God's not going to use it anyway. They were exposing their lack of faith in what God can and will do, and they were causing others to be discouraged, and they became a stumbling block to others to the point where I believe their attitude ultimately contributed. It wasn't the only thing, but it ultimately contributed to the fact that the work ceased. If those who are the oldest among us, the, the, those who should be wisest among us, those who've known the Lord longer, those who remember what life used to be like, if they're disappointed, if they're discouraged, then they, maybe they have a point, you know? Maybe this really isn't as great as we thought it was going to be. And so the consequences of their attitude were that they were expressing a lack of gratitude for God's blessings. They were exposing their lack of faith in what God could do. And they were causing others to be discouraged. But the Lord then, of course, rebukes them. If we go back to Haggai chapter 2, the Lord sets them straight. And he calls them out in verse number 3. Who, who is left among you? Of course, this is years later, so probably some of those people have passed away at this point. Who is there among you that saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? And then he turns to Zerubbabel, the, the, the ruler of the people, the leader of this movement. It says, yet now be strong, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, and work. Here's what he's saying. Forget about the naysayers. Forget about those who would, would seek to discourage you, and, and rather than talking about the, the work of God and what he's doing today, they just want to talk about the way things used to be. Just set that aside and get busy about the work that I have put to your hand. You know, ultimately, we can't change the way things are. We can't change the fact that our nation is drifting further and further from God. People's hearts are growing colder and colder to the things of the Lord. We can't change that. But you know what? God has put us here on this earth, in this place, for such a time as this. And he's given us a work to do. And rather than being discouraged about things, we ought to just put our hands to the work and get busy serving God and just trust that he can do with it whatever he wants to do. God's got a plan. God has a purpose. And, and folks, we ought to be excited about that. I'm excited to be in God's house tonight. I don't know about you. I really am. 
I'm excited about serving God together. Oh, but don't you know COVID? And don't you know that Russia? And don't you know that, that the White House? and the, Yeah, I know. I know. But guess what? God's, we still serve the same God. We ought to be excited about that. The Lord's arm is not shortened. Yet now be strong. Work. Notice what he says at the end of verse number four. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. <laughs> Think about this. You're complaining about the foundation of a building, but you're missing the presence of God. Think about this. I'm with you. My spirit is here. I, I, I've called you here. I've put you here. I've, I've given you a work to do. Be strong and work because you can know that my presence is going before you and going with you. And then he gives them this great consolation as he tells them and gives them some promises about things that are yet to come. Look at verse number 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. God says, I'm not done here. Everything that you see going on, it's all going to be shaken up and turned upside down real soon. By the way, we're waiting for that to happen today. It won't be long. <laughs> Things are going to start shaking up. And ultimately the Lord's going to come and, and things are going to change. But notice what he says here, verse number 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come. You know who the desire of nations is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this time in history, he was just around the corner. He, he was just around the corner. I mean, a few hundred years. And that might seem like a long time, but in the history of the world, a few hundred years was not much. And the Lord is saying there's coming a day that the desire of all nations is going to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that the world had been waiting for. He was coming. And he said in verse number 8, he said, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The, the, these things that you're so concerned about, this building and the contents of the building, the silver and the gold, don't worry about it. It's not yours anyway. It's mine. It belongs to me. And then he says in verse number 9, the glory of this latter house, this temple that's being built, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace saith the Lord of hosts. He didn't say the glory of this latter house is going to be as good. He didn't say things are, things are going to go back to the way they used to be. He said, no, no, you just wait and see. The things I'm going to do here are far greater than anything I did in that first temple. He said, well, what could he have possibly been talking about? Well, you see this temple... Zerubbabel's temple. Nobody's ever called it that before, as far as I know. It was just a sec second temple. It wasn't Zerubbabel's. The first temple, that was Solomon's temple. This temple, the Lord says, it's my temple. The silver and the gold, it's mine. This temple, in this temple, a young baby boy would come 
be consecrated to the Lord there. Jesus by name. In this temple, at the age of 12, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven, would be found in the middle of this temple, sitting in the midst of the, the teachers, hearing and asking questions. In this temple, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come in and turn over some tables of money changers and cleanse the temple. In this temple, He would preach the gospel of peace and the gospel of forgiveness. In this temple... When Jesus died on the cross and hung there and cried out, it is finished, the veil that separated the, the, the holy place from the holy of holies would be rent in two from the top to the bottom because God was showing that His presence can be, can be accessed by the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I don't have to go to a temple anymore. We don't have to go to a place and through a priest and through a sacrifice. We, we can approach the throne of God by the blood of Jesus Christ, our high priest, and there is no separation between us and God anymore. You see, this temple was better. <laughs> the things that God did here were far better than anything that Israel had ever experienced in the past. And in this place, the Lord said, I will give peace. So don't worry about all the external things and don't worry about all these silly little things like buildings and sizes of foundations. Just set your eyes on me and get busy about the work that I've called you to do and you're going to find that things are better than you could ever imagine. Amen. Folks, can I just say to you tonight, I know that we have a lot of things that we could probably get discouraged about. There's so much going on in the world today and and honestly, we don't know what the future holds for churches like ours. Churches that stand for the truth and preach the truth and, 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 and maybe don't bow to all of the world's philosophies and ideas on things. We don't know what the future holds. And it, it would be easy to get discouraged about that and to get fearful about that and to get all, all worried. And, but, but I just want you to know, God's put us here and He's got a work for us to do. And there's coming a day that he's going to shake everything up. <laughs> and the desire of nations is going to come again. Amen. And he's called us to be here and to occupy till he comes and to serve him. And I still believe, folks, I still believe that God can work in these last days. I do. In fact, I'm depending on it. I'm, depend I'm, I'm pleading with God to work in my home, in the lives of my children, to bring them to Christ and salvation to draw them unto himself, that they would not only be saved, but that they would know what it is to love the Lord and serve the Lord. And I mean, I'm just pleading with God for that. And I believe that he can and he will. I, I, I'm pleading with God to do a work among us to, to revive us again. Folks, we need to be revived. We always need to be revived. Because the world comes in and our, we, we get discouraged. We get down. We get our eyes on other things. We need the Lord to bring us constantly, bring our focus back to Him. I'm trusting God for that. I'm trusting God to use us to reach lost souls that are in darkness. I'm trusting God that, that there are souls all around us tonight that are sitting in darkness and, and defeat and sin and in bondage tonight that someday are going to be sitting right here in this room singing the praises of their Redeemer. I, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm trusting God for these things. I believe that He can work, and I believe that He will. So let's get our eyes off of ourselves and of other things. Get our eyes on the Lord. 
and just put our hands to the work and trust that he can still work in these days. Amen. Would you stand with me?